If you're grateful for the chance to be led in worship this morning, put your hands together and just say thanks. Hey, you can be seated. If you're visiting, I'm Scott. I'm the pastor at Adventure. This morning, the question I want to ask you is this. If someone were to write a song about you, what would it say about your identity? If someone were to write a song about you, how would it speak to your identity? In the Dagara tribe, uh, in the country of Burkina Faso, near Ghana, this tribe is known to have mothers who were ready to, uh, were excited about the opportunity to have children before they ever conceived. These mothers would go off into a rural area next to a tree, uh, a rural area of their tribe. These mothers that were married, excuse me, these, these wives that were married without any children, I'm not doing this very well. In this tribe of Dagara, in the country of, like I said, these mothers, when these, these wives, when they wanted to have children, they would distance themselves from their tribe and their husband, and they would start to prayerfully invite their future daughter or son to come. Uh, again, without any... Uh, without having conceived, they take the initiative to invite their son or daughter to come into the family, to come into the tribe. And they write a song while they're out there to describe the son or daughter they envision having. Then they go to be with their husband. They have no children at this point, and they are intimate with their husband, and they teach their husband the song that they used to invite their upcoming son or daughter to be a part of their family. When they have this child together, her husband and she and her husband and the midwives all sing this song that she got when she went out before she conceived to invite her son or daughter to be a part of her family. And so every child, every student, every young adult, every midlifer, every senior, every person that breathes their last has a song that identifies them. And not only does their mother and father know their songs, but their siblings, their extended family, the elders and community of their tribe in Dagara know their song. Everybody has a real understanding of their identity. If someone were to write a song about you, how would it speak to your identity? The, the canvas that we're looking at this morning is a personal letter, a personal note, written to a young man probably in his 30s who is facing a step-up moment in his life. He, is, he has been serving in the shadow of one of the most influential leaders of the first century, the Apostle Paul, and he is now being asked to take the baton. At a time in his life, and, it, and in a climate and temperature of the Roman Empire that is not very inviting, Emperor, Emperor Nero is neurotic. He started a fire in Rome and he blamed the Christians. So they're embraced, they're incarcerating Christians. 
uh, he has authorized the live burning of Christians in his temple courts. This is all validated by Erasmus and uh, and other writers, John Fox, first century writers, Tertullian, that talk about this incredible persecution of Christians. And it's during this four-year run of Emperor Caesar's persecution, AD 64 to AD 68, that Paul is incarcerated at the prison in manor time outside inside of Rome and he's telling Timothy Timothy <laughs> it's your time to step up this is your moment and Timothy's like uh, uh, I'm not feeling very well I need a sick day <laughs> I, I, I'm not ready for this and he's feeling a lot of pressure for several reasons widespread persecution which means widespread defection for the first time to say you're a Christian in the Roman Empire is has mortal consequences and widespread weeds of heresy there's this heresy that actually preceded uh, Jesus ministry that and continues afterwards called gnosticism which is putting to question whether or not Jesus ever ever bodily resurrected from the dead if he didn't bodily resurrect from the dead then you really don't have a um, a defendable Christian faith. Everything he taught and lived for was based on his death, burial, and resurrection. It was all hinged on that. It was the cornerstone. And so Gnosticism was fighting against the church. And Timothy, this 30-something, timid Timothy, as John Stott, if you want to go deeper in this series, I've been using his commentary. It's downloadable. John Stott, S-T-O-T-T, Second Timothy. As he describes Tim and Timothy, he's facing daunting circumstances. It's a step-up moment for him. It's game time. (laughs) And he's having to lead up. He's having to lead men that are older than him. He's having to lead laterally. He's having to lead uh, younger people. It's tough. That may seem a little, like, far-fetched to you, a little distant. If you read BBC News, you can see, or UK Telegraph, you can see a lot of this is happening. Uh, Some of this kind of persecution happens in portions of Africa, in portions of uh, Iraq, Um, this kind of persecution. But, you know, even here in the U.S., while we don't have persecution, we have a lot of step-up moments we're facing. We're trying to raise our kids in this culture. Uh, To be nice, we're trying to raise our kids in this rated R culture. How do you raise a G-rated heart and mind in a rated R culture and not just completely turn into a sequestered family? where you don't let your kids, you know, do anything and make them, you know, able to integrate in the, in the community. We're all super busy. The economy's getting better, which means more is expected of us sometimes. We're working harder, and we've got to somehow get better at what we do, our jobs. More is being asked of us. Sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it seems uh, irrational, like not not really possible, and so we've got to be willing to step up and allow God to do something in us that maybe we ourselves don't feel like we have. Sometimes we're being asked to do things that are unethical, and we've got to decide, like a nurse that I know or an attorney that I heard about, we've got to decide whether or not we're going to do what's right or do what keeps everything quiet and, and peaceful. And we've got, for some of us that are married, we've got to 
in, in all we do, as busy as we are, maintain communication in our marriage. How many of you sometimes feel like your Saturdays are like reacquainting yourself with your spouse? Hi, I'm Scott Matthews. What, what's your name? Oh, Melissa, we've been married 29 years. Yeah, it's been great. Well, how come we haven't talked? You know, just keeping up, right? And uh, you, communication can be tough. And I don't know about you, but when I'm tired, uh, I'm not always the best communicator. I do stupid does anyone, like, say stupid things in their home across the, across the island? Just a little poke. Sometimes, you ever poke at home and it was, it's tough. And it's tough. We have to work hard at relationships. We have, and there's step-up moments. And some of us have had health challenges that require step-up moments. We've got to own what we can about maintaining our own health and fitness. We've got to say, okay, i got to own this. How do we do it? You know, I've... I've I got to own this. How do we do it? Well, I think there's a real way. Would you like to know, for your own step moment, the song that Jesus would have sung about you? How would you like to know what the song looks like or sounds like that Jesus would want sung about you? How would you like to know the kind of identity that Jesus would have you take on for you to be the person God intended you to be. Would you be interested in what that song looks like? I want to I wanna show you today. If you brought a Bible, open it up to 2 Timothy. If you brought a smartphone, Google 2 Tim, and it's, it's 2 Tim 2. We're going to be in chapter 2. I'm going to try to go a little faster than normal here, because uh, I I need to. Here it is. Second Timothy chapter two verse one. It begins with how transformation happens in all of our lives. I'm just going to start. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you're going to step up to your moment and and reflect the song of the identity. God has designed for you, it's going to happen the same way you were saved. By grace alone, we're saved through faith. But let me say it this way. By grace alone, are we strengthened to become what we were intended to become? Grace doesn't just save, it strengthens. Paul says, you then, my son, be strong in the, in the what? The grace. Grace strengthens. That is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this. And the things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses. Let me read that again. And the things who? You. Have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Paul's telling us that this is how Christianity went viral in the first century. It began with me, then it went to you, then it went to witnesses, then it went to reliable leaders and men, and then it went to others. The reason Christianity really exploded is because folks viewed themselves as idea keepers of the teachings of Jesus that were not meant to be just held on to, but were meant for every Christian to be a disseminator of ideas that is the teachings of Jesus. And so everyone has a responsibility to receive, get an understanding of it, 
and pass it on. And because of my really alarming basketball dribbling skills, I thought I would bring this up. In basketball, as I recall, when you're past the ball, the key is to make certain you receive the ball. Receive the ball. And if I remember correctly, you're to bring it into your chest. Make certain you get it. You understand it. <laughs> it's not just receiving and getting it. It's, it's making certain you have control of it. Do you understand what you're learning here? At Adventure, we think that where this happens is in groups. Groups, we believe, are the place, just like Jesus' ministry to a group of 12 and also a group of three, we think groups are the place where you become who God intended you to be. If you're not in one, go to the info table today and said, say and sign up where it says groups. But part of getting in a group is not where it ends. Getting in a group is where you really get, you receive and you get an understanding of the teachings of Jesus. But the teachings of Jesus are not designed to just stay here. Hey, what's up? Don't, do, you ever, do you ever play a game of basketball and notice no one's passing to you? This happens to me frequently in my family. I, I play. I'm like, I'm excited. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's beat them. <clears throat> Why aren't any of you passing to me? And I think we know the answer to that question. They don't trust me with the ball. That's the truth. Um, but the, the goal for the Christ follower, for the disciple, and I'm trying to really kind of demystify this word, is we receive, we get a handle on it, and then we pass the ball. We pass the ball to somebody else. Andy, I know you're a basketball player. Could you please stand from where you're seated? Okay, I'm going to pass it to you. By the way, our, our commercial liability insurance, I think, will cover everything. Mike, your glasses, would you just protect for a second? Protect the glasses, all right? But my job is not just to get, to receive and get. I've got to pass that ball. Ooh, did you see that? Form? <laughs> yeah. Now, Andy, what's your job right now? I don't know. Do you want me shooting? You trust me to shoot. Okay, great. All right. He's going to pass the ball. All right? That's, you like this. You like this. Yeah. The job of a Christ follower is to receive, to get it, and then to pass it. Now, Connor, I know you're a ball player. You knew I was coming for you. This is my neighbor. Stand up, Connor. He's a gifted basketball player, actually. Connor, Webb, you can do it. You can do it, Connor. But <laughs> what's that about? <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> what? Oh, the distance? All right. Hey, 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 would you, could I get you to pass this to Connor? They don't trust me to pass it to him. Can you catch? Can you catch? You, you can. Just pass that to Connor. Hand it to Connor. Maybe we don't want any injuries. I know Connor can pass that all the way to me. Okay, Connor, show us. I know you know how to do this. Show us just the, the right way to receive the ball. How do you receive the basketball? Right like that, okay. How do you tighten? Do you bring it in at all? Okay, we're going to go with that. Now, I want you to show them you're trained. You can pass right from there to me, straight up. Boom. Good job. Here's the deal. A lot of us, we, we receive the ball. We start to get the ball. We don't pass the ball. In, in the U.S. today, the population of Christians is projected to decrease by 35,000. 35,000 less people will start going to church in the next 20 years. 
Right now it's 35,000. It's 35 million, a little larger number. Uh, because folks aren't passing the ball. They're not passing the ball. How do we pass the ball? Well, you saw how Paul did it. It went from him to Timothy to witnesses during their second and third missionary journey to reliable men, those leaders, and then to others. How do we pass the ball? Some of us might say, hey, uh, no one's lining up to hear me talk about Jesus. No one really wants to know. <laughs> no one's at my door saying, hey, I stopped by on a Saturday morning. They don't come to my house on Saturday morning for me to tell them about Jesus, if you know what I mean. And sometimes I feel very inadequate. Hey, guess what? Inadequacy is where we all are at. When Jesus sent out his disciples during the halftime of his ministry, about 18 months into it, he told them, go out and preach the kingdom of heaven is here. That was their message. <laughs> That's doable. A couple more things I need from you. Heal people. Lay hands on him. By the spirit of Jesus, they'll be healed. And thirdly, cast out demons. How many of you would be like, can I pass on number three? <laughs> he sent them all out when they were inadequate. Timothy is inadequate here. Inadequacy is part of the qualification. If you think you're adequate, you're vulnerable to pride, temptation, and doing stupid. So how do you do it? You start teaching. That's how you, you, you get better by teaching. Teachers know their subject better because they're teaching it. I thought this was an interesting anecdote that came from one of the message prep team members this week. And uh, it's a Gonzaga fan, NCAA basketball fan, who referenced this guy, Prezik uh, Kronowski. I don't know if I pronounced his first name correctly. He's a 7'1", 7'1", tall, 300-pound um, athlete who suffered a back injury his uh, senior year. And he was benched for, for, the, for it was like six months uh, of his senior year. And what his coach surmised is that the best thing for Prezik Kronowski to do was to coach the other two guys that replaced his position. What's the, what's the genius in that? The genius in that is that when Kronowski was off the DL, he was better than he was before he was injured. What made him better? He was teaching. Some of you might say, you want me to teach the Bible? Are you serious? <laughs> There's no way. Yes. Uh, let's start where it starts. It starts with you teaching the Bible to your children. Bible stories. You might mess it up. Your rendition of, of uh, David and Goliath might sound like uh, Red Rover, Red Rover, send that big giant on over, and we beat him up, and it was over. That's your story, Red Rover. You might botch it up. It doesn't matter. You're teaching. You're going to get better. You, you might say... I, I don't know where to start. I don't have kids. Do you have grandkids? Do you know who was most influential in Timothy's life? His mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Some of you grandmas have a prompting to reach out to your grandchildren. You should follow that prompting. Their life matters. Reach out. Be bold. <laughs> My mother-in-law is. I appreciate it. Some of you might think, you know what? <laughs> the idea of me teaching is ridiculous. Hey, how about this? Why don't you start teaching in the nursery? They'll be really nice to you. Why don't you, well, why don't you, or what about teaching the, K, the three to K? You start exercising your teaching gifts. You prepare. You put in an hour 
of prep, you're learning, you disseminate the information, you get better. You're, you, you have a, a moment where you get it, and then you pass it on. That's an hour every week where you'll be teaching. What about teaching the elementary? They're getting a little smarter. But you know what? They're being raised in a rated R culture. They need a teacher in the Bible, someone that will challenge them. Someone besides their parents, you know, the, the second most influential people in the lives of children, first is always their parents. The second is mentors. You start teaching, guess what happens? They ask a question that you don't have the answer to, and you're like, hey, can I get back with you on that? Maybe in 2018 when I figure it out. And you, you get back with them, and you get better just by teaching. Maybe you don't need a year, maybe a couple weeks. Maybe you start teaching with uprising. The, the middle school and high school. Or you start facilitating a group. You apprentice under a group leader. Or you apprentice under a growth group leader. You just start teaching it, and you'll get it better. You'll get better. You'll get better. Here's the bottom line. You're all teaching something. Aren't we all teaching something? We're teaching CrossFit, we're, and it's not necessarily our career. We're teaching, you know, how to eat right, how to look good, how to exercise right. How to finance management, real estate investment, uh, tips. We're all teaching something, so why not be identified as a disciple where you're teaching others about Jesus? There's opportunity. There just aren't a lot of people that want to pass the ball. Everyone wants just to receive the ball, get the ball, and slow the game down. Wasn't designed to play that way. Will, you, will your song, if someone wrote a song about you, will it identify you as a disciple, someone who receives, gets, passes? Secondly, will the song written about you identify you as a worker? A worker. A worker. Let me read this next section, beginning in verse 3. Paul is writing from this prison cell trying to encourage Timothy. Listen to what he says. He says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. <laughs> There's an invitation. Join, join with me in what? Suffering. That's exciting. <laughs> like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. An athlete competes according to what? The rules. The hardworking farmer should... What's the hardworking? What is he? He's a farmer. Hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Would the song someone might write of you describe you as hardworking? You hard worker. We're made for hard work. You know that? Do you know how depressing it is when you go on vacation and you were kind of slothful before the, the six or eight weeks before your vacation? Then you go on vacation and you're like tired. And you're like kind of like, what was this, what we waited for? And then when the vacation's over, you're even more tired than you were before the vacation. So you need another vacation or a few sick days to get ready for work, right? If you don't work really hard then you don't get to really rest before the during the vacation. And so you need another vacation. Or how about this? Anyone, anyone enjoy spring cleaning? <laughs> Neither do I. But when you do it, 
when you clean the baseboards, get all the water closets done, shampoo the carpets, uh, dust the uh, fan belts. I'm not trying to stress you out if I'm talking about your home right now. Uh, when you make certain all the countertops are really clean, you get the, the trees trimmed, the grass is fertilized, the weeds are pulled, uh, the dog gets a nice shampoo, um, everything's perfect. Then you, the last thing you do is you put clean sheets on the bed. Yeah, clean sheets. You do them just like your spouse wants it, and you put all the pillows out. And then you go take a shower, and then it's time for bed, and you're so excited because all your clothes are neatly organized. You threw away the stuff you don't want to use anymore. You don't have to look at it anymore. Yay. And then you get in those sheets all the way down. You push your feet down under, and then you feel a bag of Ritz crackers between your toes, and you realize... You did not do spring cleaning. You did not work hard. This is only a dream. <laughs> yeah, that's an awful feeling of not having worked hard. But when you work hard, there's something of a... Sorry to take you through that. Anyone need some air? <laughs> okay, they weren't Ritz crackers. They were Girl Scout cookies. We're being invaded by them. But when you work hard, you feel good. You were, you were meant to work hard. God designed you to work hard. We describe people who identify adventure as their church home in six different ways. These are behaviors that describe people who call adventure their, their home. Sense of a wish to follow the Spirit willingly. When they read the Word or get a sense of a whisper from God, they follow His Spirit. Adventurers, people who call our church their home church, are people who pray constantly. We pray for people who have need. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for opportunity. They're people who give generously. You're at a church where people give very generously. They're people here at Adventure who love unconditionally. We love each other. I hope you get a sense for that. We do. Some of us have been together for over a decade. We don't only love each other, we actually like each other. Uh, we, we serve passionately. When I say serve passionately, I want to talk about a brother who, who plays the keys. He's not playing today. Lauren serves passionately, but our own Chris Jackson, uh, who plays the keys for us three Sundays a week. Chris, Chris serves passionately. He, uh, we asked him this week, hey, how many hours of prep do you put in before you get up here as a volunteer, he said four to six hours. Four to six hours of prep behind his keys before he even comes on a Sunday morning for another four to five hours. Chris also leads a growth group for men on Tuesday nights here twice a month. Plus, he's, a, he's got a lot of responsibility with UC Davis. The most important thing he does is he's a servant in his home. Works very hard. He's a good cook, actually. Works very hard in the home. He is someone who serves passionately. He's a hard worker. A hard worker. And at Adventure, we also, part of our work is sharing our faith regularly, our Jesus story. Last week, I left out invites for all of you to put in your wallet. I mean, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, I wonder why some of you weren't willing to take one and put it in there. Because sharing our faith, that's part of our work. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask therefore the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers unto his harvest. 
That's our job. We're workers. But do you know what's so hard about this topic? See, this is the one area where culturally, culturally, working hard is not necessarily an elevated value. Check this out. A lot of folks find virtue in putting in kind of mediocrity at, at work so that they have time to recreate so that most of their work is happening on the weekends. Most of their work is their retreating lifestyle. Soon as work's done, I'm gone. I'm, I'm going to go take care of this. And so the idea of being a hard worker for Christ's church is almost like, what are you talking about? I'm working just sitting here right now listening to this sermon. This is work for me, right? Here's the deal, though. Did you hear Paul's language? Join with me in suffering. Like a good soldier who reports to his commanding officer. Like an athlete who plays according to God's rules. Like a farmer who produces a harvest. Here's the deal. We're all producing a harvest of something. We're all producing a harvest. God's challenging us to work hard for his church. And you know what I always get kind of disappointed with? Is when sometimes people treat their work for the church unlike they would their job ever. They just sometimes don't show or very last minute give up a responsibility. I think God's asking us to bring our best here. Here's what I believe. You learn to give your best here. It'll help you give your best Monday through Friday. It'll help you give your best Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 in your home. It'll help you give your best Friday night and Saturday when you put God first. Would your song identify you as a worker? A worker. This particular, this particular behavior of being a hard worker, they say, and I'm referring to Patrick Lencioni's ideal teammate, ideal team member, is the hardest one to increase. An ideal team member is humble. He's smart, but that's relationally smart. It's EQ. But the third component of an ideal team member is that he works hard. He's hungry. I've been interviewing people for the last couple months. One of the questions I ask them is two questions. Tell me about how busy you were in high school. Because a work ethic actually starts in high school. And the other, the other, um, the other interview question I ask is, um, what do you like to do when you're not working? And if they say, oh, I, I'm constantly training for a triathlon. Uh, it takes about 25 hours a week for me. Or uh, I've got this passion for underwater basket weaving that's about a 30-hour commitment time for me. What, you're, what they're saying is, I work harder for people, for myself, than I do people that are on my team during the week. How do you raise this up? He gives four different ways to increase your hunger, your work ethic. He says the first is embrace the mission. The mission of this church is up above the coffee barista, bringing Jesus' hope to an imperfect world. Does that mission have a place in your heart? Do forevers matter to you? Are lives at stake here in Natomas? Be willing to work for it. Secondly, uh, 
be a part of a team that has expectations of you and behaviors. I shared some of our behaviors. Pray constantly, give generously, work passionately. Embrace those behaviors. Make them a part of your life. Thirdly, make yourself vulnerable. This is how you get better at working hard. Make yourself vulnerable enough to get poked, to get, hey, I, I think you can do better there. How about showing on time to your assignments? How about being early to work? How about letting your team know how things are going, communicating? Fourthly, you got to be willing to be encouraged. You need to know, you need to get an attaboy and an girl when you're working harder. And then finally, you need to be around leaders who are modeling hunger, work ethic. If a song's written about you, will it identify you as a hard worker? Will it identify you as a disciple who passes the ball? In this tribe, in Dagara, uh, this Dagara tribe in Burkini Faso, what happens is that as you, after you're born and during your toddler and elementary years, if you fall and hurt yourself, break a limb, scrape up a knee, hit your head, your family and area residents come around and they sing your song. If you have any aberrant social behavior in your community, you cause some real disruption, you're going to get some strong discipline from the whole community. The whole community is going to come around. You know what they're going to do? They're not going to spank you or incarcerate you. They're going to sing your song. Because what they think is if you really know who you are, you don't want to do anything to hurt somebody else. Finally, when you get married someday, they're going to come and your your spouse is going to hear your song at your wedding. And as you raise children and as you go through life seasons, you're going to keep hearing your song even until the day you die, your last breath. Your friends and family are going to come around and they're going to sing your song because it's the song that your mother envisioned for you when you were just a thought. Isn't it interesting? Moms kind of know what's best for us, don't they? I mean, I give advice in my home. And the boys are like, when mom gets advice, they're like, almost like they got this intuition of your identity. What's your identity? Are you a disciple? Are you a hard worker for Christ's church? That's the song that Jesus wants sung for you. In this very chapter, there's a song. I'll end with it. In this chapter is considered one of the early songs of the church. Here it is. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Can you see the family sharing this as they were persecuted? If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Take a moment and bow your head with me if you would. I want to just give you a chance to let God know you want to be identified as a disciple. I challenge you to pray this prayer. God, by grace, help me become the disciple I was intended to be. By grace, help me become the disciple I was intended to be. I challenge you to pray that prayer right from where you're seated right now.
God, by your grace, help me become the disciple I was intended to be. Finally, God, by your grace, help me become the worker I was intended to be. And if you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus Christ, I would challenge you to pray, God, today I want to make Jesus the leader of my life so I can become whom I was intended to be. And if that's your prayer today, I'd like, I'd like you to let me know. Would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, if that's my prayer today, God, today, praise the Lord, I want to make Jesus the leader of my life so I can become whom I was intended to be. I see your hand in the back. Anybody else pray that prayer today? Praise the Lord. I see your hand and yours. Heavenly Father, I pray you pour your spirit into their hearts so they know they just received the ball. Help them. Help them hold on to it. Protect it this week as it's in their hands. In Jesus' name. By the prayer room, tell them I raise my hand. Please welcome Cal MacGyver as he facilitates the last piece of our service.